Hey, this is Liberty DeVito, and you're listening to the Fab Four Free For All. Welcome to another edition of the Fab Four Free For All, which is a Beatles podcast slash talk show about the Beatles. Besides being a podcast, it is also on YouTube. So you get to see our lovely faces if you want to. Um, this, uh, I am your moderator for this week, Rob Leonard. And joining me, of course, are my friends and co-host Mitch Axelrod. Hey, folks. And Tony Truguardo. Hi, everybody. And today our topic is something you don't think about with the Beatles or the solo Beatles, and that's comebacks. Each Beatle, as a solo artist, has at one point or another had a comeback, which you don't think about because you always think about the Beatles and, the, you know, they're always in the news seemingly or whatever. But as solo artists and even the Beatles themselves, and I'll get to that later, um, have had comebacks where they sort of disappeared for a while whether it was their choice or not. Um, and, and then they come back. Right. So right. it's, it's not something you normally think about, but we're going to do that show today. So, um, you know, well, you know, what, I, know the- I know you were saying that, that, you know, there needs to be some distance to call it a comeback, but yeah. there, there, the, I'll, I'll, I think in a couple of mine, I'll show you that maybe there doesn't have to be as much distance that uh, 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 I picked events that helped them come back in the public eye. So, okay, that's that's yeah. good. But I just wanted to clarify. Okay, um, I'm going to start off uh, with George Harrison. Okay, George Harrison. First of all, we have to say the '80s were not a good decade for the Beatles, for the most part. Um, obviously, John Lennon gets murdered. Um, Paul does a not a really good movie. He had a he pipes a piece was not a good album per se. Well, um, but he started well, the, he started the decade with tug of war though yes that's true um and george had a couple of albums one was a hit actually somewhere in england but it wasn't uh, a a big selling album, but it was a hit per se and and then ringo ringo kind of disappeared with two records but my comeback for george harrison is in 1987 where he does cloud nine where he he specifically knows he he's been away for five years. Basically he did the Carl Perkins special, which was a great comeback for George as, yeah, as so you, you just took about where I was going to go, but go ahead. Well, all right. You can still do it later. No, he's, no, it's okay. It's okay. And, and the one thing about the Carl Perkins special that I think is important to remember is uh, what Olivia said about George to, uh, in the press who she was interviewed about, cause she was there obviously. And she said she never saw him smile as much as he did that day. And, and if you look at him, he's just incredibly happy. Yeah, he's beaming the whole time. Yeah. yeah. But it was also there where he meets Dave Edmonds. And he, he said to Dave Edmonds, hey, uh, I'd like to have Jeff Lynn you know, co-produce my next record. Not Jeff, not Dave Edmonds, who, who's you know, a well-known producer also. Um, yeah, and, but Dave Edmonds had just had Jeff or had had Jeff Lynn produce a few. Right, right. right. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. So, you know, that's slipping why. away is a great song from uh, absolutely and Dave and produced by Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. So George going into cloud nine knows it's been five years and he's going to give the press push that he did not really do for the either the, the first two albums of the 80s. We should probably kind of note, though, Rob, that it's it's. You know, when we talk about 
we talk about comebacks, there there are like two, three different ideas. And you mentioned earlier self-imposed, you know, disappearing or, you know. Um, and I think in the case of, of George, you know, we talked about somewhere in England as having been the hit, but we left out Gontrapo that was, right. was, you know, it was not just not a hit, but George did no publicity for the album. Right. None. It was his last album for the Warner Brothers contract. Um Warner Brothers didn't seem to want to put a lot of effort behind it, and and George didn't either. So I'm not sure if it was the last album, but I do know it was he did know because you know the the next Cloud Nine was on Warner Brothers too. So well, unless he I, resigned with them, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought that that was the last Warner Brothers records, or that was the last. You know, um, I could be wrong, but like I said, I think that was one of the reasons why George just elected to not do any publicity for it. Well, so, in the, know, he was in the, the title, Gontrapo, you know? Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. screw it. I'm, 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 off, off, I'm off to the islands to go, you know, uh, I'm off to the islands. I don't, I don't need this crap anymore. <laughs> he was so. just, you know, after the, he was fed up with, especially after somewhere in England where he specifically, you know, says he hates the industry. He was fed up. He didn't, you know, and, and he knew he wouldn't be played on the radio, which is a shame because, you know, Dream Away was a great uh, song. And, and Gontrapo is you both know is one of my probably one of my favorites so uh I, i'll defend it to the hilt but but Absolutely. i, I, I love I that totally record. agree that you know he didn't do anything for it and because of that you know it was almost like a self-imposed after that and i, I just checked and it was indeed his last his last album for that warner brothers contract okay okay so uh, yeah. we, we should say also that somewhere in england you know they they came to him and said hey uh george uh you know change some of these songs you know blood from a clone is is george's yeah. answer which is a great answer, you know, and mentions Frank Zappa and, you know, the, the well, bad record. He was fed up with the yeah, years. but look at the great songs you lost, you know, the, some of the great songs you lost by Warner Brothers being putzes like that. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. which but, still, which still sit, no pun intended, singing, sat singing, you know, which is one of my favorites, uh, but that's still languishing somewhere. But anyway, go ahead, Don. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, like you said, Rob, I mean, it's a cross, I think, between, between, like Trapo as a comeback and and I mean, not Trapo, I'm sorry, uh, Cloud Nine as a comeback. <laughs> but I always think of the um the 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 Carl Perkins special as being just like George's just coming out of the out of the woodwork again, you know. Um and you could even you know, if if one wants to you can even look at George Harrison as being something of a comeback because you know, here's George Harrison. Uh, not George Harrison. I'm so sorry. 33 and a third, rather. Right. You can look at 33 and a third as being something of a comeback because, you know, he had done he had done that one record that was, you know, Dark Horse, where it was just so, such a difficult, difficult record, you know, with his voice being the way it was and the songs being kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, dark and slow. Yeah. And, and then you got to that, like, L.A., you know, whatever of, of extra texture, which also got hit by hit hard by the critics and stuff like that. And then well, finally, it was, a dirge. it was a dirge, man. It's just a, a you know, it's hard um, to listen to. There's yeah. Some good stuff, but yeah, overall, and then comes 33 and a third, you know, which is like really great songwriting, a combination of that really smooth LA feel, but a little more true to George Harrison, I think. Than, than the previous two had, had really been. 
And I think he put his heart into 33 and a third and you got the two singles. Yeah, but but also you know. it, it happened pretty quick, though. It happened pretty quick after dark. I mean, uh, extra texture. So it, it is part of a comeback because it's, it's much better musically than, let's say, extra texture. But it, it was a pretty quick. But it was three. Know. But but you got to remember yeah, but, in, in between you had you had the bummer of an album that was Dark Horse. Right. You had 74 the beat down of the poor guy. Right. After the 74 tour. That's true. You know, the last really big record of George's that anybody really had risen up and take notice of was three years earlier with with um, Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. Yeah. You know, so you had you had three years of, of kind of whoa, you know, from George. And then you but got he, But he was putting out material, so he wasn't like putting out material. Yeah. But again, that's why I'm saying a comeback. I don't think is always literally just coming back out of the woods to go make a record. I think it's yeah, I agree. It's that idea of, you know, being back in the public eye and, and being back in the public's graces again. And also wanting to be there, too. I think that, that's part yeah. of it, you know, because very well put. That's that's and that's was the difference, I think, with Cloud Nine, because Cloud Nine, he did a lot of press for that. He made they Warner Brothers was so happy with it. And George was so happy. They made two videos for got my mind set on you. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, that's incredible. For, you know, back then, they really didn't do that. Right. And it was George Harrison. You right. usually do that if it's a dance video or something. And this was, you know, he was dancing in his chair. <laughs> but think, you know, with, you can think about the fun that he had with that because we were talking about the Carl Perkins special and how you know Olivia said he was smiling so much. But you know about the records that came before, it was still George working with a lot of um, great session people, right? But session people. Now right. you move on to Cloud Nine, and it's George working with a lot of his friends. Yeah, that was the difference. I think um, a whole different ball game. And also just the way George approached it with uh, Jeff, I think there was a um, just a, a, a confidence of working with with someone who was not just a producer, but had his own hits of his, and had his own sound yeah. uh, as a producer. And I, I, I know a lot of people like to knock Jeff Lynn's sound with George Harrison. I didn't think I wasn't bothered by it. A couple of songs had it, but I wasn't it wasn't like it was an ELO record. Mm-hmm. No, no. And, and no. I, there are some people out there who will say, well, the, the drumming on that, listen, listen to the drumming. And I'm like, OK, what's wrong with it? You know, OK, there's electric drum track on uh, Got My Mind Set on You. Jim Keltner programmed it. But you know, I thought um, that was like his comeback. And if you think about Cloud Nine, it is his last solo album as a solo artist while he was alive. Hard yeah. to believe. <clears throat> you know, I want to touch yeah. on a couple of things, if you don't mind. Um, something you, uh, Tony said, the, uh, the 85 Carl Perkins special, right? I, I think that that was big. Uh, obviously you, you mentioned why it was big and I totally agree. Uh, and it's a gorgeous thing to watch. I mean, it's just, it, it, I still get chills watching it, Yeah. but I think that also led to so much confidence in George. Um, I don't think he would have done the princess trust in 87 had he not been on stage with Carl Perkins. I mean, he did two songs. I know he was with Ringo and right. a bunch of his friends, but still, I mean, he never liked to get on stage. I mean, he would get on stage with Deep Purple and, you know, the, and do an occasional song like that, but, you know, in a club. 
But we're talking, you know, Royal Albert Hall now, again, in front of, you know, the, the prince and all that, you know, whatever they were, the queen or whatever, they, whoever they Prince, were. Princess Diana. You know. <laughs> whoever they were. Yeah, yeah. whatever they were. Well, but, but they're not Americans. Who cares? We don't know. Exactly. No, sorry, wow. you British listeners. Uh, no, but I mean, I think that also that gave him the confidence to, to get back up there and really do it, um, which is great because the prince's trust is, is really good. I, I enjoy that as well. Um, but I think Tony also the the 33 and the third and George Harrison, you know, he he called them sort of like the rubber soul and the and revolver, like, you know, and yeah. whatever, the double. Yeah. Um, I think those are tremendous because, as you said, they they didn't really take that much time in between the, the bummer of extra texture. But he was thrust back in, like you said, Robbie made videos. He was thrust back into the, you know. The limelight he did SNL. I mean, you know, there's he really no, George. No, George did SNL in '76. Yeah, oh. for for 33. Oh, oh, okay. I'm thinking Cloud yeah. Nine. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. So you know, I mean, for him to do that too, I mean, he's George right. Harrison. He just doesn't like to do it. And if you and and during that time, that's also the time we get that video of him watching this boy, and he embraces uh, the Beatles again. You know, at that right. time, and yeah, I think I think that also. Yeah was a big comeback but to what to your point rob and this is the main one i had i not only had cloud nine but i had just meeting jeff lynn in general because not only does he do cloud nine but that also takes them to the wilburys and the wilburys i think made george cool again um you know it was it was he embraced his time in mean, cloud nine, he obviously embraced Beatlemania again to do, you know, to do the video when we was fab and stuff. And, and he talked about the Beatles a lot in 86 and seven or 87, which he never did in the, you know, prior. He didn't want right, no, you good point. But, but I think the Wilburys thing, everybody bought the Wilburys even more, you know, I mean, cloud nine went platinum a million in the States, but you know, and it went well all over the world, but, the Wilburys just blew out. I mean, it went triple platinum and, and got him and all the other guys uh, new fans. And everybody knew who George Harrison was because right. all the Wilburys even said was that, you know, they that it was George's band. <laughs> they always said that. They always yeah. said that George would, would would say the opposite. He would say it was right. Bob Dylan's band. You know, but I think it was I think main, you know, meeting Jeff doing Cloud Nine. I mean, obviously, Brainwash came out of it, too later but um i think the wilburys thing but i i think you know he had a couple of comebacks uh george harrison and, and it was good to see because i think you know he you know we, we could have also said i mean obviously he didn't you know he died nine years later but i would have said the uh the concert uh in royal albert hall in 92 april of 92 right, right. and that's a good point too well then, <laughs> because, then again you know the, um i've heard that from some record people i know that if George Harrison had toured, let's say, 1988, based on Cloud Nine. That album would have probably sold another million copies. Easy. Oh, and, easy. And think yeah, about absolutely. you know, think about the Live in Japan album, which is three years later, where he needs money. You know, he finds out that uh, Dennis O'Brien maybe uh, put up money that he shouldn't have put up, and George owed it because it was his company. Um, I often wondered if he had gone out in '88 uh, as a touring thing. You know. Would have that helped sell that album? But then again, maybe you don't get the traveling Wilburys in because they, you know, he had time. That's so, true too. Yeah, yeah, I don't know which one I'd pick: the traveling Wilburys point. or a tour. 
I'd probably pick the traveling Wilburys. Well, yeah, because, you know, he toured three years later. So right. it, it didn't matter. Small tour um, of Japan. Very small. Yeah, I was going to say toured, you know, yeah, toured. Well, some shows in a, little, a little small country. But well, well, yeah, think so. about this, guys. You know, uh, how many shows did he do in Japan? 10, 11? Something like that. Very short amount. OK. Yeah. All right. But 10, 11. Paul McCartney just toured as of the recording of this show uh, doing the Got Back tour. He only did 13 shows. Right. But that's different now. He's uh, he purposely right. he hasn't done a real tour. No, no, no. But what I'm time. saying is uh, it's still called a tour and it's still 11 versus 13. So it's still a tour. OK, sure. Sure. But I'm just saying, you know, I'm going by the idea of demand and exposure. I mean, you know, Paul, Paul's been. Right, continually exposed doing live shows for a really long time. Well, he's for George, it's just that idea that you know, oh, he did a he did a tour, you know, yeah, yeah. eleven shows. It's like we, you know, we wish there had been seventy five shows, but and yeah, there may have been, but uh, who knows? Well, you know, well, you know, if we would have done the state, that would have been the comeback. That's yes. that's true. Um, just Mitch, just get back to what you said about Paul Torrey. I purposely think since he did, he just did Glastonbury, and that was like a big. That's a big deal especially in London, in England, that this got back thing was sort of a setup just to get his voice back into shape for Glastonbury. I think that's, that's I think because he, he cares about that stuff. And oh, yeah. I, I heard some clips from the show and I thought his voice sounded a lot better than the beginning of the got back tour. Well, so, next time we do a show on uh, comebacks for his voice, we can talk about the tour. <laughs> <laughs> so George Harrison, and we should say that during this period that George wasn't, um, you know, making music or we should say releasing music because he claims he made a lot of music in his house. You know, friends would come over, they'd start recording. Yeah. Well, where is it? Well, uh, let's let's get it then. Let's. Yeah, yeah I, I hopefully I'll that's another whatever. album. But um, he was also uh, executive producer for a lot of movies. Yes. And that was. Yeah. I mean, so, one could argue, behind the scenes where you wouldn't say that's a comeback. But no, you know, I was no. going to say it's funny, you know, I mean, there's two things we're not thinking, too. I mean. When it comes to an artistic comeback, you know, is it the idea that that the four Beatles are all artists in different ways and that George is one of the ones that had a a, a lucrative and very powerful second career? He so did. for George was was a comeback for him, you know, making the the first film that he did with, you know, with Bob Hoskins, you know. I mean, you know, was there was there an essence to him that we're we're being an artist making a comeback meant producing a really nice piece of art, you know? Right. What him. if he would have just, what if he never made another album and just produced million dollar or a million, you know, billion right. dollar movies the rest of his life? Yeah. We'd have to say, you know what? That's a comeback. That's he, his comeback. It's not the way we probably would have wanted it, yeah, but, yeah. but it's yeah. still an artistic comeback. And there's also the idea too, that, you know, was, I mean, as much as it's kind of like weird to think of it as such, you know, is all things must pass a comeback. You know, is it is it a, a no? It's a declaration. It a, it's a declaration, right? Oh, it's a coming a out. Point, Rob. Beautifully put. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, a, that's that it's, it's planting point. the flag on the moon yep. and saying, "Hey, you bastards! Yep, look what yep. I had waiting in the can." You yeah. know, if only you'd paid attention. Right there, you go. <laughs> okay, um, so we we got through one uh, beetle. Let's get to a second beetle, and that would be Ringo Starr. Hmm. Um, Ringo's had um. An interesting comeback, and I'll, I'll start his comeback in 1989 with okay. the, the first all-star band tour. Um, he really spent a lot of the 80s drunk. 
um, or at least in the in the press saying that he was drunk. No, um, he was. You could tell in a lot of those interviews, Rob, the one he did. Uh, I forgot which one he does. Um, well, John Davidson's the one I know of. The yeah. one yes, but there's also the UK one he does with George. Right. Uh, where he talks about I'll still love you again. He's totally well. Uh, allegedly, but he looks just, I mean, not looks, he sounds just drunk. Yeah, he's slurred. Yeah, he's lit. He's lit. Yeah. But yeah. Um, 1989, he uh, he had just almost did a, a complete album with Chips Moman, who had produced Elvis Presley's comeback in 69, the Memphis Sessions, and Ringo said, let's try again with Chips. And uh, it didn't happen. Matter of fact, uh, Ringo had to sue Chips when Chips uh, tried to put out the record during the all-star band tour of 89 and, and Ringo did win, but I really liked his version of I can help, which has been yeah. floating around for years. Yeah. Um, it was a nice choice for, and Elvis did that song too. So well, also everybody thought when, when he had yeah. the hit, when Billy Paul had the hit with that, Billy Swan. not Billy Paul, Billy, Billy Swan. Swan. I'm sorry. Uh, not me and Mrs. Jones. Um, <laughs> when Billy Swan had the hit with, I can help how many people thought it was Ringo to begin with. Oh yes. Yeah. Especially so, during that time when Ringo oh, yeah. was on the charts. Yeah. Ringo, Ringo did that. And, Wasn't and it John, like 74 and yeah. John and John and Bob Dylan. had just had, uh, uh, what do you call stuck in the middle with you? But anyway, <laughs> uh, that great one. Anyway, by the way, I was just reading a, a just off, off topic for a second. I was just reading Pete Hamill's interview with John Lennon from 1975, June of 75 in Rolling Stone magazine. When when John has not announced yet that he is walking away from the business and they asked him, um, could you produce Elvis? Or Dylan. And he said, wait, I've got him right here. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he said, sorry, bad joke. He said he would be scared to do Elvis. But if he did do Elvis, it would be an all rock and roll album. And he said about Dylan, he goes, I wouldn't have to worry about the songs. I would need to worry about the backing tracks. I still don't like the backing tracks of blood on the tracks. <laughs> wow. So, uh, wow. You know, so it's kind of he, he goes, Dylan would be easy to work with. Elvis would be a little harder. So <laughs> instead he chose to give stuff to Ringo. No. Yeah. Right. So so Ringo in 1989, David Fishoff approaches him and says, you know, you should do a tour. And we're going to get an all star band, a lot of friends, some of them, you know, some of you might not know, but you're going to know them by the end of the tour. And there were a lot of people on stage and sometimes it didn't sound clean as it should be, but it was still a great show. And it was to me, Ringo's comeback as a performer per se because you know he he basically tours every two years now that's it's part of his you know his what he does now you know when he says uh, people say oh you gotta retire he goes no this is what i do so um so to me that's where it starts for ringo because the 80s were kind of a lost his lost weekend in many ways except he was married and with barbara yeah so can i sorry go ahead no i was gonna say it's funny you know for me, it's like, I, I, you know, I always love the all-star band shows. And obviously, there's a degree of a, a huge degree of a comeback there. But I think about sort of the comeback that never was. I, I Like for Ringo, I think about what, what would have happened had there been a full-on Ringo and the Roundheads tour. I mean, oh, you yeah. know, we saw, I saw, you know, I saw Ringo and the Roundheads at, at um, um, Bottom Line. And Ringo was in just absolutely incredible spirits, and he was doing his original music, a lot more of his original music, with a band that wasn't 
all-stars. You know, these, these were the session guys that had been on his record, you know. Uh, and he did, and it was, a, it was really Ringo-centric. And as much as I love the all-star band shows, as much fun as they are, which they really are, and comeback also meaning that it got, it got Ringo into the, you say the word Ringo around people, around the, any of the millions of people who've been to one of the, the all-star shows. And like, ah, Ringo. Like, there's that wonderful smile of like, yeah, we love Ringo. Like, Ringo was back. But when it came to, like, the Roundheads idea of Ringo going out and doing Ringo songs right. you know, for an hour, you know, for an hour and 15 minutes, you know, maybe double build with somebody, you know, um, that was sort of a comeback that never was because had that tour happened and he sold out, even if it was smaller venues, but you know what? Ringo and the Roundheads would have sold out here in Long Island. We have what was Westbury Music Fair. You know, however many thousand, couple thousand seats there, he would have sold out venues like that. Being he Ringo. easily would have, he still yeah. would have. He would have. Yeah. So I mean, he sold it out. He's already played there. So you know, it's not like he oh, never yeah. played there. It's no, but where I'm going is, had he had he gone into a Westbury music, music fair, maybe on a double bill, and did an hour and fifteen minutes of the Ringo and the Roundhead set. You know, not not having Todd Rundgren songs to support him and, and Burton Cummings songs to support him and just being Ringo for an hour and 15 minutes. I think he still would have been, you know, would have been lauded. I think. That's like an alternate universe for Ringo. Yeah. If you think about it, because every new record from Vertical Man on, they the Roundheads basically would do some appearances. And then the all-star band would be, you know, okay, we're going to have the all-star band tour now. Yeah, off we off I go, and I'm on the road with the, you know. Yeah, so. I, I with just, all those important people. Yeah. <laughs> you I, all I, stay here. Yeah. It's it's interesting that Ringo's one of the few guys who could do both because he 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 likes playing other people's music, too. One, one of the things I noticed when I saw him in 2006, and I was 12th row in the, uh, when I was out in Palm Springs, how happy he was to be playing like on a Billy Squire song or a mm-hmm. Shilly E song or, um, oh, geez, who was the other uh, guitar player there? I forgot, but uh, he, he was, there was a certain happiness. Richard Marks was the other guy. Um, There's there a certain happiness. You can see that he likes to play with other people. It reminds me of Elton John. If you talk to Elton, he loves playing with other people. He doesn't get the chance to just sometimes be, the barrel house piano player on a, on a bat, just him just playing the piano, not even singing or being, you know, the main guy, he loves it. And Ringo yeah. gets that same impression. I think that, or I get that impression from Ringo that he loves playing with other people as much as he likes to be the guy in the front, you know? So, you know, I, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm totally there with you, Rob, but I'm going to go just a little bit back, um, which led to the all-star Again, an event uh, going into rehab for alcohol. Right. Um, he and Barbara went and, you know, he he, he knew he needed to go. Um, and we yes, alluded to him being drunk in the 80s. He knew it. Uh, I think the rehab led to, you know, the obvious, the uh, all-star band because he said he needed something to keep him busy. Yes. So, you know, he wouldn't drink. Um, and thank God, you know, he's been sober <clears throat> all this time and, which is great. Um, but I think the next couple of things for me with Ringo and, and listen, the all-star band idea is just amazing because everybody goes easily plops down their money because you're not only singing Ringo, 
seeing Ringo. Um, but you know, Ringo's obviously the headliner and, and it's such a great concept. And I would, you know, I think, um, I think other people have done it since I'm not saying he's a trendsetter, but there's been so many combination tours now, you know, where people do their stuff, but you know, not, not where other people do other people's stuff. So it still is unique in its own right. 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 Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, and I love seeing, you know, different people. I know there were complaints about, you know, having eighties and nineties rockers or whatever. And I don't want to see the new kids on the block with Ringo um, yeah. doing you know, the right stuff. Uh, I don't need to see Ringo going, Oh, Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, but still, um, but he probably can do it better than them. He's in such great shape. But Ringo could say we were the original boy band. First kids on the block. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the um, the other thing that I I think really brought Ringo back. And by the way, the all star band, Tony, when you said, oh, it's Ringo, the all star band made Ringo now into like Cher and Madonna. It's just Ringo. And you know who it is. You know, it's. He, he's that one name guy now. And, well, it's it's not like anybody ever went. Oh, you mean Ringo Schwartz? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't change his name to Schwartz yet, but um, no. But I mean, you know, it's it is it is amazing now that you just he's just Ringo. It's not even Ringo Starr anymore. It's just Ringo, um, and it is a unique name in, in in any case. So it's Madonna though, and Cher. Yes. Um, but the the other thing is uh, two things quickly. Uh, time takes time. Right. Uh, definitely. Rate of definitely. the world. I mean, you know, working with Jellyfish and also that first album, he did work with Mark Hudson on that. On, I think one track on that. He did. He did. Um, and that led to, for me, the real comeback. I mean, I know the rehab is, is huge. And, and, you know, to me, that's number one. But. The second one is, uh, I think, the release of Vertical Man. I agree. And, uh, working with Hudson, as much as he did like five albums or something and, and live albums and other stuff. And, you know, it was very productive for Ringo. Um, uh, and even though the albums, you know, Ringo as a whole doesn't sell, you know, unfortunately. Uh, but the albums were, were really good with Hudson. Absolutely, yeah. There's and an artistic, I, that artistic comeback idea. Correct, correct. Yeah. Artistically, I think Ringo then said, wow. I mean, I know, you know, Liverpool 8 was the start of the end. Yes, um, yes. And you could sort of tell. Uh, after that, you know, the albums were a little more sporadic. But uh, I think the Hudson years, which leads exactly to your point, Tony, with the roundheads, because, you know, and without... Vertical Man and, and Hudson, there's no roundheads. Uh, he right. really pushed him and, right. and the harmonies. And I mean, they really were great session players, no matter what you think of Hudson personally or, do, or, or don't think of him. Uh, you know, he really was good for Ringo. Um, yeah. And I think he yeah. he did uh, produce some really good stuff for Ringo. And I think that led Ringo on a path to uh, to just happiness as well. Yeah, uh, I think so. Love, Ringo Rama. I mean, all of those are really fine albums. Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing about Vertical Man, he he did a lot of press for that, too. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't help sell the record as much, but he was on radio shows. He was on tons of TV shows and he was happy to say, hey, I'm back. The only problem he had with that record, it was supposed to be released on one label and then it got the label went out of business yeah. and then it got switched over. And so it's got switched over to Mercury. So 
unfortunately, the, 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 the planning had to be pushed back and that might have helped or hurt actually the sales. But Ringo did a lot of, you know, pr- um, presenting of himself, which he didn't yeah. do as much along the way. And one thing that that led to was there are some Ringo and around head albums out the live albums, which I was glad that he did that because he did put out all-star band albums, which is there's nothing wrong with. Right. But there is something different about the Roundheads. The storyteller album. The storyteller album is a fantastic one. And then there was a, yeah. the soundstage one too. So yes. the, and both yeah. of them are, are, are very strong, not just Ringo, but the band was just hot as hell. Fantastic. You know, yeah. one, so, one thing I, I can't understand for the life of me, and I'm not sure if we talked about this right in the Vertical Man uh, show, but how does a single like Lottie Da not do really not go top 40? Because it's it's Ringo. It's fun. He did a great video. Paul yep. was well, all, you know, on it, too. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a. You can't not a misstep by Ringo, just a misstep by the public, because, you know, I, I, I think it was such a good, typical, quote, Ringo song. If you had to you hit the nail on the head of why it didn't chart. Why is that? Because because you always you never can look at the song and the artist and you always have to look at what else is on the charts that month. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah you, I you know, the reason why it didn't do anything is because, you know, at that time, as far as the top 40 was concerned. You know, nobody was looking for a, quote, typical Ringo great pop song. Yeah, no, you're, uh, no, you're right. I mean, Ringo was, started. what, 50, 57, 58 when yeah. that came out. So, yeah, um, you know, and rock radio didn't pick it up. I think Lottie has one of his best songs ever. I think it's just think it's a it's has a great catchy chorus. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, just, it's the, the yellow video of, of the 90s for him. Yeah, no, I thought and one thing I think when he comes back with vertical man that it let him, I think the great work with Mark Hudson, but after that, when him and Mark had the, whatever happened to him, you know, Ringo still produces his own now, which you might not have thought of in 1975 that, you know, Ringo would be his own producer. Mm. And mind you, they record everything one bit at a time, uh, but that's the way it works. And it, you know, it doesn't sound, you know, no, it doesn't have pieces. It, doesn't sound it sounds very good. To, yeah. But Very he's got a lot of output now, which is, I think, is because he did so much in the 90s right, and 2000s. Because yeah. Ringo, Ringo has a big discography as a solo artist. Now he does, yeah. yeah. yeah when, it, when, it, when it comes to that, that uh, Mark Hudson period, the other thing that you do have going on is you had a lot of, you know, not to be stupidly cliche, but you had a lot of with a little help from his friend stuff, too. He'd have, you know, Paul, and, and you'd get... The, the the coming of a Ringo album would show up in the press because, hey, Steven Tyler's on the new Ringo album. Hey, Tom Petty's on the new Ringo album. Hey, you know, McCartney's on the new Ringo album. So you got a lot of you got a lot of comeback press for a lot of those Mark Hudson records because Ringo, it's just like with George and Cloud Nine and, and, and recording with with friends and not just studio dudes. Right. Uh, Ringo was surrounded by people who he really liked. And I think that helped a lot. Yeah. I I just wish that there'd be some way to resell those records because, you know, you can't sell them. The only way you can really sell them is on television. You know, just, you know, yeah, you know, the K-Tel, not like a K-Tel record, but 
you know, just and here's Ringo Starr's latest album. And guess who's on it? Paul McCartney mm. and, you know, Steven Tyler and all these other people. And, you know, maybe he sells, you know, a couple of hundred thousand that way. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see one of the uh, one of the reissue labels talk to Ringo about adding B-sides and then putting out, you know, new colored vinyl versions. Right. That's yeah. the big thing now. You go, you yeah, take he a has, record, you put he out He's not paying attention really to record store day. So. No. No, and, and Listen, he, he, there was one with uh, the singles uh, photograph. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. The box set. So the, right. he had that's a nice right. box set. He had, you know, I'd rather have that than like, no offense to Paul, but like the women and wives that just came out right. uh, uh, from McCartney three, you know, that's just a 12 inch of the, of the latest stuff. Yes. But you know, the, the, the box set with the, the, uh, you know, the picture sleeves and everything that, that was nice. You know, yeah, and, that's true. And that's, I about so, that. Yeah, but he hasn't done anything since. But you know what, Rob, to your point, though, um, listen, the last album or one of the last album, not the EPs, but he, you know, he he made a big deal out of Grow Old With Me. Yeah. And he redid a John Lennon song and Paul McCartney's on it, you know, and and playing and it still didn't do anything. Yeah. But you um, know what? I, I, like I hate it speak for itself. And I they, think they, it did. They, they should have walked that over to the countryside of the of the of the aisle and said, hey, boys and girls, this this sort of sounds like a country song and countries is so much wider in uh, what they consider country. Now, yeah. um, that song could have easily been brought over to the countryside. We've talked about Ringo yeah. doing a country album for a while yeah. that could have been released as a country song. And there was also a problem with that song. You know, if Paul McCartney's singing on it, I should be able to hear him a little bit better. Yeah, yep. that was my only problem. But they mixed it too low on Paul on that. But but that's a good point. A good about grow old with me. Um, anyway, our next Beatles Uh-oh. is John Lennon. Ooh. And there's a couple of comebacks with John. But um, if you think about it, he's one of the first artists of his stature to walk away for four years and say, you know what? I'm going to take some time off. I have a kid. I want to watch him grow up a little bit. I'm also sick and tired of the business. I'm just going to walk away and, and hang out with Dakota and look over on on Central Park. The only well, other big person that you had retire at that time, well, not retire, but walk away for three years was, was Springsteen. And was that was because he was being sued. Because he was being sued. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's interesting. You know, Springsteen disappeared. He just didn't make an announcement that he was leaving. Yeah, but well, George you know, did it too. Yeah, yeah. George never admitted that he was going away. He just right. He left. just went away. He just left. Yeah, yeah. But 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 John's the first one really out of that generation to say I'm gonna. And, and if you think about it now, and same with George, four or five years now is is the average for many artists yeah. Yeah. to put out records. You know, it shouldn't be. They should be putting out still once a year. I like that once a year thing. You know, it's I've had 25 to, years between be my Beatles. albums. It's, what was that, Tony? I said I've had 25 years between my albums. It's, <laughs> wow. I, I, we, yeah, we'll have to sell it, it on it's our, our show. To, it's tough to keep up the standards of what they expected, like the Beatles to do. You know, two albums, four albums, three singles, and four singles. Right, right. Come on. I mean, you know, nowadays, like you said, if, if even Paul said we were gone for six months and they thought we were done with, with Pepper. I mean, now, six months, and it's nothing. So. Yeah. No, you're like right. you said, you know, so it, it the length of time nowadays, it, you're right. Uh, but back then, you're gone three, four years and people say, where are you? know, you're done. 
Yeah. So uh, when when John left after, yeah, that's why I was reading the Peter Pete Hamill interview just before the show because I I wanted to see when it was when it came out, which was June of seventy five. I wanted to see what he was talking about, and he wasn't saying, "Oh, I'm going to take care of uh, the kid when he's born." He's preparing yeah. for his next album, really. And yeah. if you think about, you know, much of seventy five for John, he was doing things. You know, Walls and Bridges had just come out. Then rock and roll album came out. Then he had to take care of the lawsuit with the Morris Levy or Levy, however you say his name. Then he did a couple of live appearances on the Sir Lou Grade uh, special, and uh, he was. And then he got back with Yoko. You know, he leaves uh, he leaves May to go back to Yoko. So um, th- there was a lot of things in his life for that that year. You know, it wasn't absolutely. a quiet year if you think about it. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it, you know, he, one thing that John said that I think people are. It, it took me a while to understand this myself. When John said that he didn't write during those years, to me, John didn't consider that finished. And if he didn't, if he didn't finish it, he didn't consider it something that he could then talk about. And if you think okay, about, got it. He, well, no, he, you know, think about how many, like how many songs got rewritten for double fantasy that were already written, so to speak, at least melody wise or many. Man. Yeah, or he combined well, double fantasy and milk and honey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you know, double fantasy. He comes back. He record. He, you know, John of course records it very fast because that's the way he he records things. Um, and he he did, and partly because he got murdered, so we can't say how much more press he would have done. But the, right. the fact that he 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 did Playboy instead of maybe Rolling Stone was a uh, no. a, a tell, tell sign. Not not to be. No, I was going to say not to be absolutely horrible, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but you know, John's John's murder was was you know talk about quote press. I mean, you know, we we look at Double Fantasy as an artistic comeback. We look at it as a, a commercial comeback. You know, but but you know, we obviously we we love the man, we love the music, but you you have to question how much of the, the the posthumous sales were partly because it was it was posthumous would oh sure sure had oh, john no. lived yeah would you know we still would be looking at double fantasy as a comeback but i always think about the idea that you know the next record might have been the wow holy crap you know, <coughs> you, know what, you know we just don't know but to your point you know, to your point which is a good one uh, obviously, a lot of the press was, you know, the murder. And it, and not that I want to put this in my my top two of what I'm going to say about the comebacks. But you know what? I hate to say it. And it sounds morbid. And please forgive me. But even the murder was sort of a comeback as John. Oh, absolutely. Saint, you know, well, I mean, John and, the and Saint, I know it sounds horrible. But also to, you know, taking that to the positive, you know, the whole John right. the Saint thing, I think that was cumulative. I think that happened. Yes. That didn't time. happen. Right. I don't think that happened right at John's murder. I think the, you know, you always get the, oh, but even, I just even recall when John died, there were, you know, a lot of the the talk about John was, was pretty holistic. They talked about, you know, well, he could have been a bastard and he was this with right, his right, first right. kid, and, you know, and, but the John the Saint thing evolved, I think, over the years. But I do think that when you talk about comebacks, it's it, it isn't sometimes what the artist does. It's the idea that 
Uh, and we could look at this with the Beatles, of course, with, you know, well, you know, Bill Sargent offers them this much money and, and Beatlemania, the play opens at the Winterland and the Beatles didn't do anything and had a resurgence. You know, here. Look at Kate Bush. Oh, my God. As of yeah. This time, Kate Bush yeah. did nothing except license a song to a, a, a TV show. And she's the hottest thing going right now. Yes. She did nothing 35 years later. Right. What's the name of that song again? Running Up a Running, Hill or something? Yeah, Running Up, up that the Hill. hill. Yes. Yep. So, you know, to that, to your to your point, absolutely your point is totally valid just by that. Because you know what? You're right. The Beatles did nothing. The Beatles didn't come back. The Beatles uh, put out no. the, Red album, the Be- and the Blue Album and then the Beatlemania. And, and, and the Beatles were coming back because of what we well, I, yeah, I, I was going to bring this up a little bit later since but since you guys brought it up, one of the things about John's murder that what happened was it, it, it made a, an ending, whether natural or not, for the Beatles story, so to speak. Yeah. And I think some other Beatles might have been upset by that part of it. Obviously, they're upset that John got murdered. But the fact that, oh, John did everything and Paul just watched him and maybe took some notes. Well, I want to or, get to that with my Paul. Yeah. So I think that's what and that was a, like a hangover for the 80s. The fact that John was yes. murdered yeah. and it sort of ate away at the other Beatles, maybe not physically or mentally, but just the whole story, you know, yeah. about the about them together. And, and, you know, they're still solo artists, but even though they you know, had their, you know, they went away a little bit, but. That's what I think happened with John when he was murdered, that this this whole story, you know, the, and, and then then you get the backlash, you know, like the clash saying, in, you know, about the, um, you know, phony Beatlemania, you know, OK, yeah. they're the next generation and they're the young bucks. Yeah, they, they have a right to say it, but, you know, it is being said, you know, and it's it's from the clash. It's not from the damned, let's say, you know, or or, or some other lower level punk band from uh, from England. You know, Tony, what you said before, though, uh, struck me um, when you said so, uh, some of the sales for Double Fantasy were driven by his murder uh, posthumous. Absolutely. But, you know, he himself said he was going to tour in 81. He did say that. So I have a feeling, Tony, that I mean, again, it's all speculation. So no, but that would have been would, massive. Yeah, It would have been massive. And I think it would have helped the album. Go yeah, back yeah. up the charts. Just having John Lennon on stage, he could have farted. He hadn't been on stage since, you know, let's face it, since Elton, and that was nothing. And one to one, which listen, one to one was a sloppy concert, and it wasn't John at his best. If he had those touring, you know, the musicians from the sessions and doing Beatles, which he said he was going to, and his Double Fantasy, I think Double Fantasy would have climbed on its own merit. Because of the promotion of the tour, definitely, definitely, and, oh, definitely, and and actually, I think Yoko would have been, I think, accepted in a different way. Been. Not not being the widow, without a doubt. But, but you know, all of a sudden, here's here's Yoko on stage doing "Walking on Thin Ice," you know, and in, in, in the middle of the new wave uh, generation, and like John wow. cranking on guitar, right? Yep. And then then and then you say, "Oh look, uh, you know, Yoko Yoko's doing the B fifty twos." Oh no, the B fifty twos are doing Yoko. Yoko. Yeah, so, um, so I think, and you know, John did you know a lot of publicity for for Double Fantasy. I think he did, almost did too much in in many ways for oh, no. Playboy. Not not that I'm happy he did it, but it, it's it's it was a big interview if you look back at it. 
There's well, a lot of them were the RKO and yeah, right. they were. He did, but if you if you really listen to all the interviews he did, and he did plenty those few days, yeah, uh, they're all different. Yes, he doesn't yeah. really say the same Absolutely. thing. Any of them, which is, I can listen to all of them because he just is so on a different level in his in his life, and he's just you know he's so he's not the angry young guy talking to Jan Winter. He's he's not. You know, he's just a, a very thoughtful, you know, he praises the other guys. I mean, you know, it's not like he's vengeful at all. He's just on a different level of, of his own um, acceptance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's amazing. So, um, do, you, do, you, so do you look at just and I, you know, and I, I raise this then I'll t- jump back to what we're talking about, about yeah. comeback and stuff. But so, do, you know, do you look at the comeback, quote unquote, as being double fantasy or do you look at the comeback as being that week in 1980 because because the interviews were a comeback the playboy or had john lived i'm saying the interviews were a comeback the playboy article was a comeback because it wasn't just john lennon the musician putting out a record yeah it was John Lennon, the guy who had been like they knew he wasn't in hiding. People saw him around Central Park. They saw Always. him in New York. He was around, but you got a dose of John Lennon, the the guy who we always knew, you know, who who could talk, who could who could uh, wield a story, who could who could uh, entertain, who had an opinion, who had. So it was kind of like John's but not a political comeback. anymore. Um. He said he was no. a he, he did have some politics. He didn't. Yes. Yeah, he didn't yeah. focus on it the way right. he did in 72. It was a different time. Uh, yeah. But if you think about it in the politics of it, of 1980, you got to remember Ronald Reagan had just been elected. He's about to be put in as president in January of 81. And a lot of people like, oh, my God, the conservative Republican, he's going to destroy the liberal uh, thought process of, of our country. Virginia. And here's John Lennon, who in the earlier part of the decade was, you know, was that, you know, was writing songs, you know, some of them are really good. And then you get some of them on sometime in New York city. So he's writing songs and he's commenting, you know, give peace a chance, you know, you know war is over. If you want it, you know, those are instant calm is going to get you. These are all important songs. And, you know, not all the artists in, in the beginning of the 80s were at that point where he was in the 70s. And since he's coming back, he's sort of like, well, some people are hoping that, you know, OK, maybe 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 we go back to that time or something. And, and it was also passing at the same time. We, of course, don't know that when it's happening. Well, so. Tony, to your point, though, again, is is the comeback. His trip to Bermuda. Sure. I mean, 25. That's part of it. That's part of it. Yeah, but but you don't have the comeback unless he goes on that trip. It's a reawakening. Correct. Yeah. A a reawakening for John, but which leads to the comeback for us. Definitely. Yeah. Well, without that trip to Bermuda, you know, I don't he's happy. He's singing. He's on the on the on the sea. He's with Sean. He's calling Yoko all the time. I mean, you know, 25 songs which leads to milk and honey and double fantasy um, and other stuff. You know, we, we forget also that, you know, we wouldn't have the Beatles come back with real love and, 
and uh, you know, and free as a bird if he didn't if he wasn't working on stuff while he was right. retired. Right. No, that's true. You know, right. I mean, you know, we forget. So, you know, is is free as a bird a real love a comeback for John Lennon? At, well, that's interesting. Sure. I mean, uh, John uh, Lennon really was in I, the spotlight. With I the sort of had that in the middle of my little Beatle thing at the end I was going to bring up. But that's a good point because they they did start out in as demo form and in, in, you know, that time, 79, 80. So wow. um, that's a very good point. Uh, to, you know, he went down to Bermuda with a tape machine and a guitar. So, you know, yeah. he obviously was going to be writing. Right. Uh, so that's part of it. And um, I'm not sure if that's where it starts, but I think it, it it's the beginning, I would say. Like Tony I, said, it reawoken. It re-awoken. Yeah. Well, re-awoken. But he also knew he also knew that oh, him yeah. and Yoko were going to make a record eventually. They were, yeah. they, they were much closer to it than, than say, 1979. Yeah, but I think that so. I think I don't think he knew that until he went to Bermuda and they started writing and and she was writing on the other end, the right. back and forth answering to him. Right. Yeah. I think then they knew, wow, this now I think we can have a record together because, you know, John could have easily said, Yoko, I, I'm not I, I need to come back as me, not John and Yoko. Yeah, well, he could have. No, he, he could have. And, and you know what? Based on Absolutely. the fourth disc of the Lennon Anthology CD, he it would have been a hell of an album. And and you know what? Based on what Ken Womack, you know, wrote in his book about you know John's last days and stuff, um, you know, Yoko in in a different mindset, Yoko would have been okay with letting John do. If John had said, "Mother, this is what I really need to do," it sounded like Yoko really just wanted him to just be happy and do you know, and have the success and have the you know. So maybe that would have if that if that was what John had wanted to do, but. Going going to comebacks and stuff like that. The thing about John is comebacks for John. I think there's such a psychological aspect to comebacks that I think, you know, we're focusing on okay, double fantasy is the comeback, but for John and and I know Rob, you're saying there need, there needed to be a certain sort of um, allotment of, of time that he elapsed, but if you think about it, John making. Plastic Ono Band, and then imagine having now come come off of heroin, come off of the unfinished music records, coming off of kind of getting, having to find his center again to really make music. You know, um, not that he didn't do a couple of great singles in there too, obviously, but right. to be focused enough to do both you know, Plastic Ono Band in one year, imagine a year later. And then I think you get another lost period there. I'm not talking lost weekend crap. I'm talking like lost just sort of, you know, uh, sometime in New York City gets gets held up and you get this sort of diversion that was the one-to-one concert. And then, and then you get mind games. Mm. You know, another comeback from an artistic, musical... Look, I well, can I write great three-minute pop songs. Yeah, but I, I, no. I think purposely it was a different album. It, was, it seemed like it was just more like my games to me is sort of a, a continuation of I got to do something where I thought Walls and Bridges was much better thought out for John because, first of all, he sat down with his band and rehearsed them and got, first of all, and thank God recorded them because personally, 
some of those rehearsals sound better than the finished stuff because they're so relaxed. Yeah. And John isn't trying as hard. And then he says, walls and bridges. Okay. I'm going to do the pop thing. Listen to this record. Listen to this ad. One of the great advertising things. And John loved yeah. advertising was to listen to the thing. And I just found out that there was a page full page ad in radio and records that said, listen to this ad, which I never saw before. Yeah. Um, and anyway, but walls and bridges thing about it, he goes on KHJ in Los Angeles as a disc jockey. He sees Tom Donahue in San Francisco. He sees Dennis Elsis in New York. He purposely is selling walls and bridges, which he hadn't done in a while. Then he ends up on stage with Elton John on Thanksgiving of 74, um, which was a big thing. Now, mind you, it's before, you know, social media and everything, but that was a big deal for John so, Lennon in 1974 to be on stage. So let me ask you a question. Is sounds so weird to say, is the lost weekend John's comeback? Yes, in many yeah. ways. Um, I, that? Yeah, in a way. Because think about yeah. it. Uh, I, I hate to say it. He, he produced Harry Nielsen. Yeah, he, he did everything. He, he First of all, one thing he did with Harry Nielsen, uh, and then this little tangent, he learned how to produce another artist that wasn't him. And I think that affected Walls and Bridges, why it was so much better well, as a production. Yeah, too many cooks with uh, Mick, Jagger. Mick Jagger. You know, he works with uh, David Bowie. He works with Elton John. Um, you know, he was that the Lost Weekend was not lost. No, absolutely a, not. Yeah, absolutely not. The but one he, thing he, I wanted to bring up too, Tony, you mentioned Ken Womack's book, and I have to bring this up because I really feel strongly after reading that book, although it was in May's book as well, I think. Paul McCartney influenced John Lennon's comeback in 80, you know, when he heard coming up and he said, you know, F a pig, it's Paul. Sure. And, and he said, I was energized not only because it was Paul, because, you know, he wasn't, he said he wasn't really caring about what the others were doing. They were putting out so much stuff. He couldn't keep up with them at all. All three Beatles were putting out stuff much more than John. He said, but when he heard coming up, he said, you know what? Just like Warren Beatty told him when he sees a good movie, he wants to make one a good movie. And he said the same thing with the record. He said, when I hear a good record, I want to make it. I want to make that record. And he said, when I heard Paul's freaky freak out version of coming up, not the live one, he said, I, I was re-energized. And I think that led, you know, that was early in 80. I think that led to or early in 79, rather. Sorry. Uh, I think that led to, you know, him really being invigorated for the album. Um, it's, it's, it sets his mind up to say, well, maybe it's time to come back. Yep. You know, you know, look, Paul's doing what he's doing. Maybe maybe I could be as creative as, as that, you know, you know, because as he once said, there's only so many chords you can play and only so many notes you can. But sing. isn't it? Well, actually, isn't he it heard fast it I'm sorry. He heard I'm it sorry. early. Yeah. But yeah. isn't it fascinating, though, when you think about it, that here is. um John making a comment about being so inspired by coming up and, and no disrespect to the album, you know, the album double fantasy, but, and then we get sort of just what would amount to kind of traditional rock and roll from John. Yes. Yeah. Double fantasy. Yes. You know, and, and throwback stuff, you know, doing, doing, uh, starting over, starting over and what, but, so, but on the, but his other half was doing freak out stuff like coming up. 
So, you know, what did what did that do? Was it the B-52s and Paul doing coming up to have him go back and go, hey, Yoko, we're ready. For, I mean, you know, isn't it wild that, that Paul doing nice the freaky is, is stuff? Freak out. It's very freak out. It's yeah. very freak out. But John's own material didn't didn't lend up. You'd never hear anything on Double Fantasy or maybe Forgive Me My Little Flower Princess because of the quirkiness of it. Oof, oof, oof. But well, it's oh, quirky. I, like it, I do too. It's quirky. Listen, I, but I think, you know, I, I think he wasn't only talking about the freak out. He said he heard the freak out version of coming up. He yeah. said but it was a really good infectious record. That's what he meant. So, yeah. you know, and, and listen, sure. No matter what you, I don't know why people put down Double Fantasy the way they do, because songs like Cleanup Time and I'm Losing Great songs are, are Great songs. amazing and, and and very infectious. Absolutely. And even, even when you got to step, I'm stepping out. Oh well, yeah. Infectious. Stepping I mean, out's very infectious. So yeah. you know he he did he did I think he got energized by hearing his old mate do a great record. Yeah, that's that's part of it. I think he wanted to come back, and I think you know think about the version of. Uh, of I'm losing you with uh, Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos. Now that maybe should have been on the record. It doesn't fit sound wise, sonic wise, but the version, you know, finally came out and it's, you know, imagine the whole album sounding like that, you know, that, but he was willing to take a chance. Yes. Yeah. He he stepped outside the box with, with two members of cheap trick. Yeah. And I I mean, did he hit a home run? It depends on your opinion. I, um, I, I like I happen to like both versions, so I can't complain. Yeah, but, it's but, a good, but a I good think, song is a good song. Yeah, I think I, but I think going back to Walls and Bridges, you know, he purposely was out there selling the record, which he hadn't done in a while. But he was also selling it without Yoko there. This is one of the only times he really did interviews without her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was a different side of John. You know, this you know, the Dennis Elsis interview is still one of the great interviews he's ever done. Um, Dennis and John. <laughs> can I can uh, I pose a can I pose a horrible uh-oh. question at this point? Um, sure, sure. No, seriously. I mean, just mm-hmm. a, uh, did John's death contribute to a degree to uh, awareness of the others? Um, did you, you know? Let's think about it. Um, would would um, uh, all those years ago? Was that a, right. wasn't that a comeback single for George Harrison? Yes, um, but that was no. a different song because it was almost like an expected song. One of the Beatles had to do a tribute to the granted, no. but where, Paul where I'm did going here is, today and he didn't put it out as a single. Right, Paul did here today. Right, um, but you know what though? When Tug of War was coming out, we knew that there was a tribute to his fallen friend John on it. Right. So, you know, um, ring even when when Stop and Smell the Roses came out. There was the whole, well, the album was supposed to be called Can't Fight Lightning, and it was going to have John on it, and John wrote, would have written the title song, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, granted that it didn't help push a Ringo record into, you know, but it's but interesting what, that, that John's death also set up some degree of, quote, comebacks for the others, too. Yes, but you know what? I don't think they took advantage. You no, know? I absolutely not. No, no, right. I, I mean, no, no I know not. what you mean. I think the record company took advantage. Uh, all those years ago, they did a, a tribute video of all Beatles. It didn't have to be that way. Um, oh, and that song. wasn't that what, but it, that wasn't that wasn't George's intention to have a video of all Beatles. And he, yeah, even that's said true. he hated the video. And that's also, true. all those I'm years ago, we, I'm thinking when we was fab. I'm really yeah. sorry. Well, all, right. all those years ago also had different lyrics for Ringo at one point. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And he could have listened. I've said it before. 
and I think he should have. But now, now that we're talking, it would have been taking advantage. He could have easily told the world, "Hey, Ringo and Paul are on here." Put a picture sleeve of the three of them, and it yep. would have gone number one for ten weeks. The first Threedles record, yeah, right. right. And, no, but I mean, also, he could have done that, he and, and also it. make uh, Paul again. Uh, Paul's vocals uh, should be a little bit higher. <laughs> if you're going to have him play on or sing on the background on your track. That's why he didn't want to take advantage. Right. He didn't right. want to say, right. he is there. I'm putting this out as an right. advantage of John's murder right. because I want a number one record. Right. Okay. Good point. Good point about John. You know, there's always, there's always a lot about John. And the last one on our list, oh. I figured the, the guy who has had, it continues. He's, he really hasn't stopped in, in 50, 60 years. Um, except for a couple of times, and it was actually short times. It wasn't really long time period of times, and that's Paul McCartney. So I'll let uh, oh. Paul. Yeah, I'll, I'll let I'll let Mitchell start off with this one because oh uh, man, this, um, I think each one of us has something different about where I think we do. Yeah, let me just let me give you two because I, I know where you, you're all going to do the third one. <clears throat> I think we <laughs> just talked about it. I think you the do. death of John Lennon reinvigorated Paul because like you said before um, I think you know Paul felt like he had to keep the mantle of the Beatles going um, and I think you know Tug of War came out even though it was being written but uh, what a great album I think it just I, I think you know Tug of War to me was a comeback album because it was his masterpiece but even forgetting about the death of John Lennon um I think the Beatles anthology was a big uh, influence in the comeback of Paul McCartney because damn you, you son of a really you had that. I have. That's part of my uh, because part I of something think, else, but I'll you're, you're jumping ahead, but go well, with it. Sorry, I, know I, I, know I, know going, going, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I know where you're going backwards, but I, I really have it. Number one, I have the Beatles anthology because I think it made him think of his, how he recorded and, and he did flaming pie, which, Number one, and he did a ton of press for that. Yep. Look, the album prior to it, which I know people are going to say is a comeback. You know, listening to it over, you know, over the years, it's a fine album. What? It's which one? Which fun. one you're talking flowers. about? Oh, Flowers in the Dirt. Okay. Yeah. It's very sporadic. I mean, you know, it, let's face it. You know, uh, what album did he have between Flowers and and uh, you know and press to play. Press to play was, was no, uh, no, no, not oh. between this and Flaming Pie. Oh, uh, off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Which was good. Yeah. But I think, you know, the I mean, comeback Paul McCartney was everywhere with Flaming Pie. Yes, he was. Uh, so I, I think that one is is a big impetus in, in having Paul do, a you know, the, the comeback of Paul McCartney uh, as a, as an artist, as a major, major artist. I mean, look, he had amazing stuff prior to that, but. I, I think Flaming Pie put him back to the status of, you know, who he was because people had just seen the Beatles for six hours. Right. And and then now you get this, you know, let's face it, it, it there's a lot of it that's very Beatley. Um, but I think well, it's a it's a fine album in general. And and he did so much press for it, <clears throat> which he, you know, he didn't really do for some of the other stuff he did some press but he didn't do a lot but i think the beatles anthology really was a big one as a comeback for paul mccartney uh, i i agree because i think what what the anthology did since he actually got to listen to the tapes he'd go visit and say hey let's hear a tape today 
oh my god we did three songs in four hours today why am i taking four weeks or five weeks to do a half a song right and and that's what to me flowers in the dirt is i like flowers in the dirt but there's a lot of producers on it um a song like we got married is way too long that's like the perfect three minute paul mccartney song that goes on for another minute and a half you know he's well, there you go with motor of love i mean come motor on. of love's another one like that Six but at the same plus. time flowers in the dirt came out when he toured so if that's he doesn't right. tour maybe he doesn't get the good press uh maybe he doesn't get the sales my brave face is a great song uh you want a two is a really good so i wish i was a single um that, so there, there are good songs Brave been, I mean, it went top 40. Yeah, it did. And it, was, it had it a great video, too. Yes, uh, but it, uh, again, very a Beatle video. Yes, that's true. But at the time, what was being sold at the auctions? Beatle stuff. Right. You know? Right. So um, I, I, that was part of it. But to me, if, if he hadn't announced that tour, I'm not sure that album gets the respect that it got. And I also wish that he had um, toured with Press to Play because... Press to play when well, he was trying so hard to be accepted in the musical soundtrack of that era, which is difficult kind of like album a, to tour, though. Correct. What? Difficult album to tour. Well, yeah, because it, it, of the production. That's true. Um, there, it's a, it's very much a Phil Collins, Hugh Padgham sounding thing. You bet. But, but yeah. if you remember, right around the time of Press to Play, maybe '87, with all the best. He he was everywhere on TV. Yeah, he but mostly he's doing this. He was mostly in Great Britain. You know, he did he released Once Upon a Long Ago. Right, which was a hit there. Right, Great Britain. Right. and but yeah. but he did do a lot. The only live version of Only Love Remains. But right. Only Love Remains was probably like the one song that you could pull off fairly. I mean, you know, right. Stranglehold maybe if you have the right band and stuff like that. But a lot of stuff on that record, Footprints, Talk More Talk. Pretty little head, right? Those were those were album cuts. Those were produced. Yeah, you can do angry, cuts. but you know, Ang- you're going to do yeah. however absurd. Yeah, right. right. You you can't. But if I be, are you? I'm sorry, Mitch. Am I? Am I gonna no, I'm 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 done. I, I, I have a couple, and and uh, I have a couple. I'm going to go out of chronological order, but sure. But you guys alluded to a couple of different things and song titles, and uh, and and I'm going to say the two words for me that was such a huge comeback for Paul McCartney as a creative force, Elvis Costello. You know, I mean, Elvis Costello was Paul's comeback for me because those songs that those two put together, that was, that was just the beginning of a, of a renaissance for McCartney as a writer. Uh, and I think, I think that, that his work with Elvis, I think contributed to what he did thereafter um, to today, I think it continues. I just think that some of the the angles that Paul's material took um, when working with Elvis, I think contributed to a, a little bit more of where his head went as a songwriter after that. Um, and I think I think the other thing is too, you know, I can't help it. You, I guess you can't always help but feel, but like your favorite record is a quote comeback record, but memory almost full. I thought was was a, a a comeback to a to a level, to a, to a, a height, as with McCartney as a songwriter and a and a creator, um, and then going backwards too, and I think another comeback moment was was that that MTV Up Close special, Ooh, yeah. um, the Ed Sullivan Theater event. 
debuting new material, playing with a hot-ass band. Um, that was another, like, this is what McCartney looks like live now. And this is that, this is this version of the of McCartney with a band. Was well, even called, a year prior, Unplugged. Unplugged, yeah, but Unplugged was Unplugged. Yeah, no Unplugged disrespect. was different because it, it hadn't become Unplugged yet, really. Right. Uh, right, it became right. unplugged with Paul and then a couple unplugged. other people. Yeah, but yeah. but the up close thing, you're right, Tony, because not everyone saw Paul live. No, and, absolutely not. And, and you see absolutely this concert on MTV, and it's like, wow, he's he's sounding great. Yeah. And it was the first time he went really back to like fixing a hole and yeah, right, stuff yeah, like that. Right. I mean, you know, and played with a hot band. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the last one going all the way back, and this is something that that Winnie and I were talking about, is that, um. There's some. There's definitely something of a comeback, and and she noticed it kind of in the timeline. But for Paul as a creative spirit, um, we were talking about l- linking back up with George Martin in 1972, and doing Live and Let Die. 73. 73. Well, it was recorded October 72. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. But but yeah. it's okay. Released in 73. But linking up with George Martin and doing that again. Um, there was something I obviously like I you know I love Ram and and you know and don't really love wildlife and Red Rose Speedway was still finding finding his way back and you get that you know ripping guitar solo and something like My Love which is something of an accident but but for, there's something about Live and Let Die and and working with Dad again and being in that environment again and the orchestra and a straight ahead rock out rock and roll song um and again you know we were just talking about it like you know in perspective and i just think that there's a there's a comeback there too that possibly then again it's the idea of when you have that artistic comeback do you have the power to carry that with you to what you do next and then after that was was banned on the run was like you know stripping it down putting together a, a rock and roll record with a lot of different things going well, on. Red Rose Speedway was um, first, then, Well, Red Rose Speedway was in there, but I just yeah. feel like like what happened with Live and Let Die got brought into a kind of change. You got that, like I said, that ripping guitar solo in My Love. Right, yeah. You got a different, you got another suite, you know. So maybe it was that, that work with George Martin, the real strong producer, got him back to wanting to like, make another real record again. It was kind of almost like when he went back to George Martin and they did Abbey Road. Yeah. You know, working with, did working with dad again, bring them into, bring him into creating a new, you know, well, you know when you want to prove something to someone you were looking for acceptance from, and yeah. that would be the case with Paul and George Martin in many cases. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you, you come up with live and let die and not, you know, power cut. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I like that medley. Come on. Oh God, come on, man. You know, I'm sorry. I all 11 minutes of it. I want I, I, I want like it cut it. down, but I, I, I it's not that songs aren't totally bad. They just shouldn't have been that long for four songs. I just want to read something. Uh, part of the lyric for move over busker, because I think Paul in 1986, still wants to be part of the game. Um, the line goes, um, well, I've been waiting, but I'm impatient. No one can hold me back. I want to stay in the action, but I won't get to, I won't get it. My great illusion will vanish anyhow. 
if I don't grab it now. And to me, that's, you know, you don't see sometimes a lot of personal stuff in Paul's uh, lyrics that specific. If you had, as much as I like that album, if you had read me that lyric, would not have known it. Independent of of everything else, right. I would have been like, "What the hell song is that from?" Right, yeah, well, which is pretty cool, actually. Yeah, so you know, to me, like, he, I think he wanted because you know, think about it, you know, he just made "Give My Regards to Broad Street," which you know had a great ballad, but the movie is you know not a good movie. It's an not amazing, an amazing, amazing, um, uh, what do you call it? Visual melatonin. Yeah, well, yeah. If you look at his videos, it's okay. But if you look at it as like "Ferry Across the Mercy," you know, <laughs> which, I didn't know uh, where you were gonna go with that. It's like an amazing visual <laughs> melatonin. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back just to, about Paul and you know, Flaming Pie, you know, Flaming Pie. Since Flaming Pie, he has been on a roll, except for maybe Driving Rain. You know, if you think about it, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. But these are just sort of a continuation of what he's been doing. Uh, Flaming Pie, I don't want to say it was a wake-up call, but it he just had to have a good album coming out of the anthology. You know, and I agree you know, with that. That's that's yeah. part of it. I mean, yeah. the anthology was the biggest selling thing in 1986. <clears throat> can, uh, I, can I do something that Tony did before um, where you did you speak German? <laughs> The alternate universe, Tony, you, like you did it before. Go ahead, sure. I, I really, and I, I firmly believe this, and it's total speculation again, so we'll never know. I firmly believe, and I put it on our page to discuss it, I really believe that had Paul gotten the band together and done a five or six song set at Live Aid, he would have been the best thing there. He would have outdone Queen. Uh, because Paul was still in great voice in 85. Yeah. And if he would have, I mean, he had let it be at the end, which unfortunately got marred by technical difficulties. But if he would have actually, you know, I know he said he was nervous and this and that. He didn't have a band together. But if he would have gotten a band together, I mean, all the other bands that played other than Queen, who were amazing. I mean, for, let's face it, you know, Led Zeppelin sucked. You know, the Stones, I mean, everybody was was mediocre at best. If Paul McCartney would have had a good band and would have done Paul songs for five, five or six songs with Beatles and Paul, I think he that would have been the comeback that we would be all talking about right now. Um, wow. But, you know, you got to remember, you know, if you remember, there was rumors that um, that George and Ringo were going to show up with Julian, uh, poor Julian. And maybe that's why it didn't happen. Um I know, I don't know. But, I, you know that would be different. Was was the timing there to, you know, to bring back the Beatles, so to speak? You know, in 1985. You know, well, you know, one of the things I I look back at the 80s is, uh, you know, the Beatles were sort of being pushed aside. You know, Sergeant Pepper have to bring back the Beatles. That's my point. No, but 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 could have done. I saw her standing there as the only Beatles song. Right. And then and, done and then done Band on the Run or whatever he would have done. I mean, he he had the, he had the hits to do a five song set. Well, he did he the next year. The Prince Prince Trust. I mean, come on. He did the Prince's Trust the next year. So maybe. Right. He maybe, you know, being more British um, and less, you know, seen by people, maybe he, he felt more comfortable. Um, that's a good point. Do you, I, I, do you think that um, do you think that the idea was that you were 
that, you know, Geldof was saving Paul McCartney for the big finish. You know, it was let it be, man. Just this is what it's all about. Yeah, and that's going to be. And then the mic failed, and then, you know, blah, he, blah, blah. Listen, blah, blah. he could have he been the last act on No Matter What and done five songs. Yeah. And, and he would have blown people the hell away. Again, you know, he hadn't, but he, he hadn't, hadn't, he, hadn't pra- he hadn't really played really in a while. I understand so. all that. I'm just saying, you know, we never really think about it. He did let it be, and he sounded great on Let It Be, which you could hear. Sounded great. And everybody went nuts. But can you just imagine all that crowd just doing like they did with Radio Gaga, you know, with the sl- the clapping in the hands and everything for Queen? Imagine right. everybody doing the woos of I saw her standing there. Well, it's not and it's not just that, but it's also thanks thanks to the changes in technology and stuff. You know, could you imagine? And here's what's a little weird about Paul. And, and I never really thought of this, Mitch, until you just you just brought this idea up. But, you know, here you got like Phil Collins, I think. I think back my mom on on one of the songs on that show. I mean, like Phil Collins playing with you know. I mean, I'm kidding. He played with a few different people, and and you've got all these artists who who Paul's familiar with. You've got you've got Clapton on the bill in America doing you know. Uh, Clapton could have hopped on a Concord and gone back too, but could you? Never mind. I saw her standing there. Could you have seen Paul coming out? And ripping into Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. He did it at what? At the G8 you know. thing or whatever? Yeah, yeah the G8 but thing. Could, yeah. You, could you have seen like, you know, and that's before that was even like a remote right. idea for us that Paul would do something like that. But, you know, here in America, I was at the show and, and Clapton coming out and, and pulling out White Room was just, oh my God, like the place right. went ballistic. Correct. Could you imagine the the nanny nanny poo poo that Paul would have pulled off on you know Eric doing White Room by just going walking out and having even even having Clapton on guitar or you know Jeff Beck or anybody who you know Paul could have you know even said to Geldof you know what man I don't have a band and Geldof said really Paul that's your problem yeah <laughs> give me twenty minutes. Yeah, but, you but also the, you got to remember you don't think the nanas nana of Hey Jude would have been no, of course reverberating of course. around Wembley. Oh yeah, but, but yeah. I think also if you bring up Live Aid just as a sidebar thing, I have to. I know it's a good point, but a lot of the acts who played in in Great Britain were more of a new wave. They were next generation, many of them. Where in the states they were more of a classic rock sounding. Yeah, the Hooters were classic rock. Well, the who? Okay, well, okay, but the who were the who were in uh, the Hooters? The Hooters. Oh, the Hooters! I the thought Hooters. you said the Hooters. Yeah, they were. Really, they're not classic. Oh, 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 the who were where? Tony, you would know. They were in the, who, the who were in Great Britain. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but no, it's okay. For some no. reason, thought the who were in, in Philly, but maybe. Yeah, I thought so. I, I got to tell you something, guys. All I know is halfway through, I had wicked heat stroke, and it was the worst day of my life. I know. I've heard, so, I love the story. So I, I hated that show. I don't even want to think anything about it. But well, Tony you know. was every band that came out. He was like, "Who?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. I was, I was apparently babbling about a puppy that I didn't have. So <laughs> it, it was not. 
not my favorite. Day. They didn't shoot water cannons at you guys in the and crowd. They, oh yeah, they shot the water cannons. They ended four rows in front of me. <laughs> I ended up being dragged into a stall in a men's room where someone had pulled out a plastic pipe and set up a shower. It was very, I thought you were going to say you were pulled into a stall by George <laughs> Michael. George Michael. Well, oh, man. one more thing to add. Well, to we this. had to we had to degrade somewhere, I guess. Had to. <laughs> one more thing to add, and, and Mitch had started to talk about this. Uh, one thing that I think the fix the Beatles in in history, not just in the presentation, but I think when the Beatles anthology came out and they had two new songs, even though based on demos of John's, there was a there was a gathering of critics and other people that started to say, you know what, these guys, the Beatles, you know what, maybe they did change the world a couple of minutes out of our lives. I, I really think with you. What? I have to disagree with you. Really? Okay. Yes, because for me, the Beatles' big comeback was 1994 BBC. When the BBC album was put out, that blew okay. people away. Well, I, I kind of agree with that because I, I, yeah, I thought the Great Dane box set was, you know, still one of the great releases of all time. Well, forget uh, about that. It's it sold BBC sold four million copies, and that's more than Anthology two or three. Anthology, no, the anthology well, sold anthology like 25 million. Sold, but anthology three sold like 3 million. Well, that's and so it was, but I'm just saying BBC live at the BBC was to me, the big Beatle comeback because you really got amazing stuff. I, I got to meet you. Amazing. I got to, I got to kind of meet you guys in the middle because uh -oh. I, I know, because where I'm going is that anthology one was massive. Right. Right. What did anthology one and the two BBC boxes have in common. Some bad sound quality. They covered the same time period. It was the oh. young Beatles. It was the right. it was the savage young Beatles. Right. What the world needed, wanted, was going after was was what was appealing to people was the young Beatles. So that's why Anthology One sold a gazillion copies. And BBC One and Two sold a gazillion copies because well, that was what well. that was what what reinvigorated the world for for the, the was, young Beatles. Well, it, it set up the anthology. Whether it was planned or not, I'm not sure because you know the live at the BBC was kind of a quiet release compared to the anthology. Where absolutely, you, you know, one of the things about the anthology you see, you know, current interviews with George Harrison. And here's Ringo Starr. Oh, there's Paul McCartney uh, talking about the Beatles. Oh, my God, the three of them are in the same room. And oh, my God, you know, they're playing in the same track. Um, Do you so, think if they'd released the 24-minute ukulele solo that the three of them did, would it have happened? I, 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 Carnival I, of Uke, wasn't that I, the... <laughs> sorry. That's something else, but I'll, I'll go Wait, with that. Did Fred Gwynn, Carnival of Ute? Ute, yeah. I distinctly heard him say Ute. <laughs> but the but what, the other thing about the anthology, and, and not just because of all the great music that was released, and I had no problems with some of the so-called outfakes that uh, George Martin put together. I had no problems with that. But one thing that other bands have done since is they've told their own story. They put out either a video or yeah. they put out a book, and the Beatles had you know CDs, book, a TV show, and videos. Let's face it, Rob. Yep. The, let's face it. The real comeback for the Beatles, 2000. The Beatles won. That's it. Well, wow. See, that's that's a continuation, though. You good point. Because yep. 
Uh, yeah, because that, the new generation comes along with them. That too. Yeah, it was on TV. It was uh, they had commercials. It they sold commercial. thirty million worldwide, and every other band put out their one album. Yeah, every well, not everyone had, could do it. That's you know, Mariah Carey can maybe do a number one or they Michael did it Jackson. With the Supremes and did it with Elvis. They did it with Michael Jackson. They did the Bee Gees. Yep. You know, everybody had their quote one album. That's true. That I mean, and that's. I mean, sort the of Beatles it. led the way again, and that put the Beatles into the heads of every young kid in the 2000s uh, and, and really sparked a big comeback. But that's a story for another day. That's another story. That's another episode. Yeah, that's another is. episode. It really um, is. But the anthology, you know, it's just a setup of the fact that they're together. Oh, they don't hate yeah. each other. Oh, look, George is, is George is actually smiling when Paul's in the room, you know? <laughs> so to me, it, 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 it's, it's, combi- it's a combination. If you think about live, the BBC, the anthology and then Beatles one, you know, it's a nice yeah, connection. Comebacks. Yeah. No. We don't count the so- yellow submarine song track, even though I love it. No, 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 but that no. wasn't a, a comeback, so to speak. Yes. No. 62 to 66, 67, 70, the Beatlemania, <laughs> rock and roll music, the Bill Sargent yeah, the Beatles, offer. As a, right. Uh, the Beatles that's as just a, part as of something a, else. Saturday Night yeah. Live episode. You know, right. I mean, the what? Beatles as a group had so many comebacks. So many comebacks. Where they just sat back and went, okay, I'll collect the money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Please. But... Anyway. Exactly. All right. Okay. Well, that just about does it. I can't think of any other things to add, mm-hmm. unless you guys have anything. No, nope, yeah. we're good. Okay. That's been our episode on Beatle and solo Beatle comebacks. I've been your moderator for today's show. My name is Rob Leonard. And joining me, of course, has been Mitch Axelrod. Take care, folks. And Tony Truguardo. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Take care and bye-bye. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Truguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album, Digital Retro, and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All.